Hello, people. Welcome to this episode of The Grain of Salt. Ryan and I just sat down and talked about the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which is a fantastic book. Um, It's a large book. We talked about one chapter, uh, the chapter on hope. We were planning on doing um, the following two chapters after that one on faith, but we ran out of time, so we'll do that another time, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, But that book has been super foundational for a lot of people's faith walk. Um, C.S. Lewis just kind of lays out what is it that all Christians have believed um, that just kind of like make up Christianity? And so we talked today about uh, how Christians view hope, and it was super fun. I hope it was helpful for you guys. Uh, A couple announcements that would be really helpful if you kind of paid attention to would be the first one is new students move in this week to the University of Iowa, which means... Um, our summer is over, our fall has started, and we are about to hit the ground running with ministry. So if you could keep us in your prayers, that would be super helpful because we obviously believe that God listens to all of our prayers and that he will change the world with the things that we ask of him. So uh, just pray that freshmen would get plugged into the Salt Company, um, that our kickoff, which is on August 29th, I believe, uh, would just go well, that uh, a ton of people will come and hear the gospel preached, just plain and simple, uh, that our freshman kickoff, which is our big Sasquatch hunt on August 26th, would go over well. And uh, fre- like I said, freshmen start moving in tomorrow, August 20th through the 22nd. So just pray that God would start preparing their hearts already, that they would meet some people who would uh, just end up changing their lives for the gospel by the grace of God. So uh, just pray that we would enjoy doing that, working for the kingdom of God, and that he would equip us to do a good job with that. And then the second thing that I want to talk about is the Salt Company Classic that I mentioned last podcast. Uh, This is the first annual golf fundraiser to help support the Salt Company uh, that we're pulling off. It's going to be at Riverside Casino and Golf Resort on October 5th, so mark your calendars for that. Uh, The link is live and running for you to register. You can register at saltiowacity.com. Uh, that's saltiowacity.com if you're looking to register. It's going to be teams of four with a $400 per team uh, entry price. Dinner will be provided for you guys. It starts at 1 o'clock plus uh, silent auction, practice balls, and uh, registration starting at 12 o'clock. So it's going to be a blast if you want to come hang out with us and golf. That would be amazing. If you can't golf, you can't attend, uh, you can't attend but you would love to help out. One thing you could do is you could sponsor a team of golfers because we got a lot of college students who would love to golf but can't necessarily uh, foot the bill. So that would be super helpful. Or if you are part of a business that would love to donate something to the silent auction or um, sponsor a whole, sponsor a team of golfers, whatever, that would be great. So you can um, email me for that. Find me on Facebook, whatever. My email is on the, the SALT website and that's where you can also register. So saltiowacity.com, go there. And uh, we'd love to see you guys come support the Salt Company and play some golf with us. I think that's all I got. That was a lot of stuff. Sorry if I bored you. Uh, Without further ado, here is Ryan and I talking about mere Christianity. Boom, we're live. Welcome to The Grain of Salt, everybody. My name is Mikey Stewart. I'm delighted to be with you today. (laughs) Who are you? Ryan Hamby. Good to have Your you on. friend. Good to have you on, Ryan Hamby. Uh, we're doing another book talk today. We did the last one a while ago on The Life You've Always Wanted. We talked about an unhurried life today. I haven't read since. You you haven't read since. I believe that because you hate reading. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
the the fans, the viewers, they they know I love to read. What have you read since we last did a podcast? What have I read besides the Bible? Okay. <laughs> no articles don't count. I assume no because I have plenty of those. Okay, I don't care sermons. About those. Sermons don't count. No, I'm just buying unless time it's from right a now. like Spurgeon book. I read a Spurgeon book. What? All of Grace. All of Grace. <laughs> all all a l l of grace actually i do remember you reading that out loud to me yeah at the lake you're welcome thank you all right you put me in my place and i started reading heaven by randy alcorn isn't that book massive yeah you'll never i can it. read a massive book <laughs> <laughs> no you can't anyways enough of that uh today we're talking about the book mere christianity by our boy c.s lewis and I printed off some notes for this podcast. Never done that before. But I think this book is very important. And we're going to talk about some fun stuff. Uh, but a little intro into the book and the author, C.S. Lewis. What's C.S. Uh, stand for again? Clive Staples Lewis and his friends called him Jack. Why? I have no idea. Great. Uh, my man was born in 1898. Long time ago. He Seems died like a dinosaur. He died in 1963, so he lived over 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. He lived to be 65. Uh, C.S. Lewis is arguably one of the most influential Christian writers of all time, would you say? Sure. Uh, definitely of his day, but ironically, his work became a lot more popular like after he died, which would be kind of cool, actually, if you like, did... If you worked really hard and then you ended up becoming more and more popular after you died. I think that's sweet. Uh, He grew up in England and he, at the age of 13, actually abandoned his Christian faith. He became an atheist, uh, would go on to study at Oxford University. He enrolled in the British Army and served there, which would be super cool. Uh, After that, he became friends with his buddy J.R. Tolkien. You forgot an R. It's J.R.R. Oh my gosh. No, that's that's true. It's not Junior. What's his, what's it's his not name? Junior Tolkien. It's J-R-R well, Tolkien. Well, yeah. If I thought it was Junior, I would have said Junior. I said J-R Tolkien. Then why do you spell it J-R Tolkien? <laughs> As if his name is Junior Tolkien. <laughs> what was his name? Do you know? No. Okay. Then I don't want you to say anything else about that kind of stuff. Um, after he was friends with Tolkien, his father died. Uh, which was the same year that he actually converted to theism. So he didn't become a Christian then, but he acknowledged that there was probably a God. Uh, But two years later after that event, he would become a Christian at the age of 33, which is sweet. Pretty late in life. Not actually, but later than usual. Um, Nine years later, the Inklings meetings began. You want to talk about that? I don't actually know that much about it. I don't know a ton. I just know it's... uh, Lewis, Tolkien, and another guy who, poor guy, gets so... I mean, it's proof right here that <laughs> people don't care about the third guy. <laughs> he was probably like the coolest guy ever. Uh, probably. Probably very underrated. But yeah, they would meet up at this pub called The Eagle and Child and just talk about um, life and theology and literature and writing and all that good stuff. So I, we always, honestly... We talk about how amazing it would be to be there. And I think it'd be really fun for like 15 minutes. <laughs> I don't know if I would have like actually enjoyed hanging out with them that much. I know that's like not really popular to say in our circles, but I bet you'd like it. I bet we'd all like it. 
They would probably talk way over our heads. Um, what's the story of? Didn't Tolkien like? Am I saying that right? Tolkien. Yeah, sure. Or Tolkien. Just mumble it. Tolkien. <laughs> uh, where he gave uh, C.S. Lewis a hard time because he didn't spend enough time on the Chronicles of Narnia. Sure. Yeah. So right? Tolkien pretty much dedicated almost all the years of his life to creating Middle Earth from, you know, he is the Lord of the Rings creator. And so all these different languages, <clears throat> backstories, characters, a whole nother world, literally. <laughs> and so when Lewis comes up and writes one book of Narnia a year, so seven years it takes, if I'm not mistaken, to create the whole world, oh, Tolkien's man. like, dude, that's not how you do it. And sure enough, they're both right. They both had no, some no, masterpieces. No. Lewis was way more right. Narnia is... Whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot say that. Yo, you, oh, here we go. You can't even stay awake for the fellowship of yeah, the ring. Yeah, because it's boring. It's not boring. You just don't get it. There, It's a whole other world. He's trying to introduce you to the Shire because once you finish the third movie at the very end, it all like ties a bow on it. It comes full circle. It makes you want to cry, but not you because you will not give it a chance. Yes, because it bores me to sleep every time I start it. Dude, you're going to lose listeners because you don't like Lord of the Rings. Anyway, they're both wonderful masterpieces. Yeah. I, you know, to your point, I never have read Lord of the Rings, never even watched the movies, um, but I have read Chronicles of Narnia and I am obsessed with them because they're incredible masterpieces. Dude, children's books that make you like want to cry. Like you have to put them down and think about the profound things he's saying, but it's like so simple. And anyways, uh, Lewis published over 30 books, uh, including one of them we're going to talk about today, mere Christianity. Some of his more popular ones, the screw tape letters where, um, he like, it's this fiction about a demon writing to another demon on how to kind of trip up the person that he's kind of assigned to tempting really interesting, just really creative piece of work. Um, he wrote the great divorce, uh, the space trilogy, which I would actually like to read. I haven't read those yet. Have oh, you? it's funny. Cause I have interesting. Wow. Well, I've only read one thing. I'm okay. sure I can't yep. talk a big game and I kind of skimmed it. It was kind of weird. Yeah. You don't like it that much. No, it was cool. But I just, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, Honestly, what's so cool about all of these books is C.S. Lewis was a master of like writing in different genres mm. and different mediums. Like it was crazy sure, what yeah. he could do. Like, okay, so you're talking about children's books yep. that we're still talking about today, theology books that we're actually talking about on this cast, right? A space trilogy, like sci-fi, weird stuff. He just was a master like weaver of storytelling. Yeah, it's awesome. So that's a little background about C.S. Lewis. Uh, the book we're reading today, Mere Christianity. Uh, I'm just going to read the very first sentence from the preface. He says, the contents of this book were first given on the air and then published in three separate parts as broadcast talks, Christian behavior, and beyond personality. So uh, the book that we're talking about is just a printing of talks that he actually had over radio, which is crazy. And then he published them and then he combined them all to make the book. Um, and what he's seeking to do in the book, mere Christianity is he's kind of looking to, he's exploring the common ground that everybody who would call themselves a Christian can agree on. So he, here, I'll just read this. He says, 
Ever since I became a Christian, I have thought that the best, perhaps the only service I could do for my unbelieving neighbors was to explain and defend the belief that has been common to nearly all Christians at all times. So in this book, he's like bottom shelfing Christianity. He's like, I don't want to talk about denominations and all that kind of stuff. He's just like, what is simply, what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, he gives an analogy of what this book is trying to do towards the end of his preface. Um, and he says this, he says, I hope no reader will suppose that mere Christianity is here put forward as an alternative to the creeds of the existing communions, as if a man could adopt it in preference to the congregationalism or Greek orthodoxy or anything else. He's talking about, um, denominations. It is more like a hall of out of which doors open into several rooms if I can bring anyone into the hall, I shall have done what I attempted. But it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. For that purpose, the worst of the rooms, whichever that may be, is, I think, preferable. It's true that some people may find they have to wait in the hall for a considerable time, while others feel certain almost at once which door they must knock at. I do not know why there's difference but I am sure God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. Explain that to me. Explain what? What you just read. About why he keeps people waiting or about the whole thing. The whole, the whole thing. <clears throat> so he's saying, yeah, there's a little bit more that he explains, but he's saying this book is basically bringing you into a hallway. Sure. And in the hallway are all these doors. There's different denominations and different whatever that you could go into. And they're all different. And one might suit you better than the other. He's like, my goal is to bring you into the hallway. And then he's like, and then from there, I want you to knock at a door and like enter it. Right. I just pictured Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Like running from door to door, but that's not You really run helpful, in one door it? and then you come out the other door. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> sorry, that's not really helpful. No, that is helpful. get that out of my head. I think that's why you lost me because I started thinking about Scooby-Doo. Sure. Sure. Thanks for interrupting. Yep. He says, when you do get into the room, you will find that the long wait has done you some kind of good, which you would not have had otherwise, but you must regard it as waiting, not as camping. You must keep on praying for light. And of course, even in the hall, you must begin trying to obey the rules, which are common to the whole house. And above all, you must be asking which door is the true one, not which pleases you best by its painting and paneling. In plain language, the question should never be, do I like the kind of service, but are these doctrines true? Is there holiness here? Does my conscience move me toward this? Is my reluctance to knock at this door due to my pride or my mere taste or my personal dislike of this particular doorkeeper? When you have reached your own room, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. I love how he tied that in. He's just like, like he's using that analogy and he's like, all right, just for example, one of the rules, if you're like, you know, one of your buddies enters into a different door, he's like, you have to be patient with them. You have to like pray for your enemies who are maybe in a different door, whatever. Um, cause that's one of the common rules of the house. So, uh, that was just the preface. The, the whole book of mere Christianity is actually split up into four different books. So the first one, is titled right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. Mm. So he's talking about the law of morality and like the apologetic that goes with that, that he's explaining, you know, he's just trying to walk people through. Everybody has a sense of morality. 
and like work it out. Like, what does that mean? It actually means that there's a creator and that he put that in you. The second book is called What Christians Believe, which is exactly how it sounds. He talked about (laughs) what Christians believe. Uh, The third one is called Christian Behavior. So that's actually where we're going to camp out today. He's talking about stuff like morality, sexual morality, Christian marriage, all that stuff. Today, we're going to be talking about three of the chapters. They're short chapters. um, And we're going to talk about hope, faith, and faith. So he talks about faith. And he breaks it up into two different kinds of faith. And so we're going to be talking about both of them. I thought that was a typo. No. Hope, faith, and faith. No, because he, he breaks it up into okay, two. Okay, so cool. He, if anybody's wrong, it's him, not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last book is called Beyond Personality or First Steps in the Doctrine of the Trinity. So this is like, he deals with questions like, was Jesus Christ made or was he begotten? What's the difference of that? Uh, what's God's relationship with time look like? That kind of stuff. So... Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is hope. Let me turn to the page. It's chapter 10 of the third book. And he starts it off by talking about how it's one of the theological virtues. So in the beginning, just to kind of catch people up, in the beginning of the uh, third book, he talks about cardinal virtues, which are like, he gives four cardinal virtues. They're prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. And he takes the first nine chapters to talk about those. And then I'm just going to dig right in. Chapter 10 on hope. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evan- uh, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, but something like it can be seen at work in other matters. Health is a great blessing, but the moment you make health one of your main direct objects, you start becoming a crank and imagining there's something wrong with you. You are only likely to get health provided you want other things more. Food, games, work, fun, open air. In the same way, we shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. Wow. Boom first part of the chapter that's crazy dude i love how he says uh if you want health strive for open air (laughs) (laughs) nobody says that anymore open air is like good for your health but the thing that stuck out what, what stuck out to you most in that oh my gosh i mean it's like that's just become part of our language thankfully like this this book has been such a part of like our circles and just people have influenced me that's like it's like you hear it and you don't always remember where it comes from. Yeah. But just that idea of the people who have done the most for this world are, I think I'm paraphrasing here, but the people who have done the most for this world are more obsessed with the next world. Yep. Just those that, who dude, thought if, most of the next. I don't know, man. If that could <laughs> define my life, I would be so stoked. Yeah. Like I, I think in the past couple of years, I don't know, as you do ministry and if people out there are doing ministry or listen to this or want to do ministry, uh, 
one of the scariest things is when ministry can become your identity, right? I know we talk about this a lot, but yeah, when you start to put your hope in the success that you currently have in ministry or the influence that you have or the stage time that you have or how good your last sermon was or how healthy your, your student body is, whatever your congregation is, dude, that is so sneaky, but that can quickly become my measure for success and not the guaranteed future I have in heaven. Mm-hmm. And right there when my perspective can be shifted, like I think God's been working in me to do, is like to shift my perspective to the sureness I have of being seated with him and reigning and the new heavens and new earth with him. Oh my gosh, how much more free are we to do ministry and life and even just like friendship and love here? Mm-hmm. Pumps me up, man. Dude, no doubt. Um, I really like the illustration he gives at the end about how health is a great blessing, but you know, the moment you make that your main object, it starts to kind of like... You kill the pet. Yeah. Here's one thing that I'm thinking about. And I could be wrong. If I am wrong, I ask that people would be gracious with me and, and walk with me through this. But the thing that popped in my head is like the social justice movement. All right. Like if we make that our main goal, or, or let me say it positively, if we focus on heaven more, wouldn't that just naturally kind of follow suit? Not without intentionality though. I okay. think I think that's where you would, I don't, yeah, I'm genuinely curious about this too. By right. The way. So I think when I think what Lewis is also trying to say here is when you become a heaven obsessed person, mm-hmm. it still will require hard work and intentionality to make the most of this world. So what you're not saying, I'm just trying to yeah, yeah, color that. It, yeah, in. What you're not saying is because we have heaven coming and because Christ has promised us that uh, by his death and resurrection and, and wooing our hearts to him, because we have that coming, that does not mean that we forsake things like justice on earth it also doesn't mean that we don't have to be intentional about it for sure but it's saying we have a new vision of intentionality and love and justice here does that make sense Mm -hmm. yep for sure yeah i didn't mean to step on any toes that's just like the first thing that popped in my head and like what you're what you're saying is you don't like if we're aiming at our end goal being prosperity and love on this world alone Yes. That's not a big enough vision. Yes. But if we have our big enough vision, i.e. the book of Revelation or what Lewis is talking about here, uh, the, you know, Christ in us, the hope of glory, when that is our big vision, how could we not work hard for social justice right. and the things of this earth to look more like heaven? Yep. Cool. Thanks for saving me. <laughs> <laughs> right when you said it, I was like, all right, man, here we go. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, popped in my head, so. He goes on to say, back to the book, most of us find it very difficult to want heaven at all, except insofar as heaven means meeting again our friends who have died. One reason for this difficulty is that we have not been trained. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. Another reason is that when the the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people, if if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that, that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or when we think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Oh, I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. 
there was something we grasped that in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think mm. everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent and chemistry may have been a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. Wow. Dude, what the heck? So good. It's like you read it for the first time. Seriously. It's cool. I, mean, I just read this a couple of days ago and I'm like, oh my goodness. I also wanted to say that I don't, I almost sound like I was pretending to be a C.S. Lewis expert earlier. I'm like the fart, just because I wanted to sound like I was one-upping you by reading one of the space trilogies. I would rather just get it out there that I'm only an enjoyer of him. I have no idea half of the riches of his goodness. So Right, yeah. Also, he's just a dude who, you know, had his own flaws. Sure. I yeah. just made him sound like Jesus there, and yeah, I really yeah. would hate to do that. Um, Dude, what is the thing? Like when he says this, yeah. he's like, dude, yeah. the best possible one. The marriage may have been a good one. The trip may have been awesome. What's that for you? Like the thing that excites you the most, but you're then you realize, oh, wait, I actually just probably want heaven behind that well, desire. Wait, what you were saying earlier about justice, that's like the reason you were bringing that up is because like when we see injustice, it's not what we were created to experience. That's a side yep. effect of sin and brokenness. And so when we are striving for justice, to get justice on earth actually is only half of the two-sided coin, right? It's only half the picture colored in. We want that justice because we were created to live forever in perfect justice with mm -hmm. the perfect judge. And we actually will get to experience that. And so us pursuing it here is like a giant arrow to the gospel, into what we will experience forever. But for me, yeah, dude, oh my gosh. I love, I want to get so good at thinking about heaven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I don't even know where to go. I think going on vacations is something that I really enjoy. Yep. Uh, I mean, pretty much I do the same vacation every year. I get a car full of dudes who have nothing better to do in their life and just drive to California and pretend like we know how to surf yeah we've done it together before yeah it was awesome and when i think of like the closest thing to heaven i'm sure other people out there have way better examples like mm -hmm. <laughs> their wedding day or something but for me it's like when i get five dudes in a car and go pretend to surf and uh eat good mexican food and in and out oh, burger man, and get so sunburned good. and like your hair is all like salt water that's like the thing that every time i leave i you know i don't actually want to move to california but I want to mm -hmm. just like go to heaven. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dude, I think one of them for me might not be the biggest one, but one that happens often is just summer mornings when I'm like reading my Bible or something, I'm just like outside and the grass is green. The sky is blue. It's like a, maybe a little chilly. The birds are chirping and I'm just like have this realization like, Oh my gosh, I'm enjoying this so much. Yeah. But then I realized the reason I'm enjoying this is because it's just like a tiny little appetizer, mm. you know? And like sometimes I'll just, I'll I'll take my phone out and I'll just take like a 360 video for a winter day because oh. there are winter days where I'm like, or, or I'll tell myself, I want to like remember this. Oh, so but the moral of that story is Iowans are the best at wanting heaven. I bet more than the average person, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need the hope in the the winter months. 
that's good. Yeah. So he talks about how, yeah, something's evaded us. He then says, there are two wrong ways of dealing with this fact and one right one. So we'll talk about the first one. He says, it's the fool's way. The fool's way. The way he deals with this is he puts the blame on the things themselves. He goes on all his life thinking that if only he had tried another woman or went for a more expensive holiday or whatever it is, then this time he really would catch the mysterious something we are all after. Most of the bored, discontented, rich people in the world are of this type. They spend their whole lives trotting from woman to woman through divorce courts and from continent to continent, from hobby to hobby, always thinking that the latest real thing at last, that the latest is the real thing at last, and they always end up disappointed. Truly sad. I mean, like the fool, how many people could you think of like celebrities or whatever who just like deal with the reality that there's something mysterious we're all grabbing after and they just chalk it up to like, oh, maybe it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, you know? Any thoughts? I'm sorry if you don't have any. I mean... It's pretty self-explanatory. It's just, yeah, it's just like a daily struggle for that too. I don't think right when you become a Christian, it becomes like your hope is like, you know, maybe it could be a huge defining shift in your mindset and your life and everything, but it's still, after being a Christian, I know you can say for a long time now, it's like, this is as relevant today as it was the day I first, Mm. you know, came to Christ. And so even today, I don't want to think about how epic, you know, we can make this world, but like, how can I actually fight to keep my hope first and foremost in Christ? Yeah. Uh, the next one is maybe even like more scary. It's the way of the disillusioned sensible man in quotes. He soon decides that the whole thing was moonshine. Of course, he says one feels like that when one's young, but by the time you get to my age, you've given up chasing the rainbow's end. And so he settles down and learns to, he learns not to expect too much and repress the part of himself, which used, as he would say, to cry for the moon. (laughs) This, of course, a much better way than the first and makes a man much happier and less of a nuisance to society. It tends to make him a prig. What's a prig? I don't know if you're allowed to say that on air. What? Serious? I'm kidding. It sounds bad though, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why I'm confused. It tends to make him a prig. <laughs> he's apt to be rather superior towards what he calls adolescence, but on the whole, he rubs mm. along fairly comfortably. It would be the best line we could take if man did not live forever. Dude, think about it. it this way, this way of the disillusioned, sensible man would be the best line we could take if man doesn't live forever. But he says, But supposing infinite happiness really is there waiting for us. Oof. Supposing one really can reach the rainbow's end, in that case, it would be a pity to find out too late, a moment after death, that by our supposed common sense, we'd stifled in ourselves the faculty of enjoying it. (laughs) Dude. So pretty much he's setting up the contrast in these last two people of like, you got the millennial wanderlust type of chasing Instagram, the vacationing, the good pictures, the what, you know, just see the world versus the the Scrooge, the person who's kind of said like, I know that's not going to satisfy. Therefore, I'm going to swing too far in the other direction and just like have a nice simple life and look down upon people who are chasing happiness. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's I, I guess I didn't really realize how opposite they were, but one of them is stifling. He says, 
that by our supposed common sense, we had stifled in ourselves the faculty of enjoying it. One of them is stifling that. One of them is like idolizing it to a fault. Sure. Yeah. So the first wrong way we can think about it, the fool's way. The second way is the sensible man way. And then the last way that we can deal with this longing for something is the Christian way. So he says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Oh, that's interesting. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for this for the something else which they're only a kind of mm. copy or echo or mirage. Wow. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and Let's to help go. others do the same. Oh, man. I had to get away from the mic. <laughs> that is just so cool. He He's throwing like shade at both a prosperity gospel and a uh, uh, poverty gospel. Yep, Sorry, yep. I lost my word there. Yeah, no, you got it. So he's saying like if you're best life now if that is your main goal you have missed everything and if you're saying i am not able to enjoy these things because i know i have heaven you've also missed it 100 percent. but he's saying the things of this earth are like you said you used the word appetizer earlier they're an appetizer mm-hmm. and he used the word they're meant to like arouse to suggest just, the real thing Ooh, yeah heck yeah your true country what i love the idea that Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Like a bear <laughs> doesn't want money. And can you imagine if a bear did want money? <laughs> did you think of that or is it in the book? No, I just thought of it. It'd be weird. <laughs> Wait, okay. Explain. But they don't want money because that satisfaction actually like can't be fulfilled. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I'm I'm talking about the negative of what he's he's saying this in the positive. Like a baby wants food, well there's food. A duck wants water, well there's water. The negative way of saying that is saying a bear doesn't want money. Why? Because a bear <laughs> can't have money. That satisfaction can't be or that desire can't be satisfied. <laughs> totally. Right? Dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you, thank you. you. Yeah. And he's just talking about how like the second half of that. Our job, our duty is actually to walk the middle line of not despising them, but being thankful for them, but also not mistaking them for the true thing that they're like, they're giving you a foretaste of. Mm -hmm. And then to point everybody onto that true country where it all actually is. Yep. The last part of this chapter in hope, he says, there's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the Christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want to spend eternity playing harps. (laughs) The answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. <laughs> All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., 
is of course a merely sim- symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. Musical instruments are mentioned because for many people, not all, music is the thing known in the present life which most strongly suggests ecstasy and infinity. Crowns are mentioned to suggest the fact that those who are united with God in eternity share his splendor and power and joy. Gold is mentioned to suggest the timelessness of heaven. Gold does not rust and the preciousness of it. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant we were to lay eggs. <laughs> I don't know why he throws that in there, but <laughs> why do you talk about bears wanting money? Same thing. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I thought that was it fit. Yeah, it does. It okay, does. thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that. He he lays it out there pretty good. What? Okay, this will be. This is a fun exercise. Think about your life, Mikey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the most inexpressible? <laughs> try and express the most inexpressible joy that you've had, like an experience. That mm. you were in the moment and you're like, this is so great. And then try and express that. Express it how? Put you on the spot. Explain it to me. Tell, Talk to us about what was like one of those great moments of your life. Just a moment of inexpressible joy. It's kind of a dichotomy, I know, but try. Um. Also, I have no idea if I just use the word dichotomy correctly. So it's a paradox. Express the inexpressible. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. K- kind of. I don't know if it's a dichotomy, but yeah, I don't care. Uh, it's kind of cheesy, but the the only one I can think of is is my wedding day. You know, like that's how. <laughs> yes. Like, there's all this anticipation as you're like setting things up. You're doing some work. Uh, in the morning, we kind of kill time playing uh, frisbee golf, whatever, and then you like get dressed, you start seeing all your friends show up, all that stuff. Everything's beautiful. But then you finally see your bride walking down the aisle and you're just like overcome with emotion for it. But then you're married and then you just like party with your best friends and you eat breakfast food that you deeply love. You dance and get so sweaty. And you almost throw up because you just ate a ton of breakfast food. Yeah, exactly. That was my experience that night. And then you go have fun after that. It's like, Dude, that day, <laughs> that day is like, there's a reason they always use that, like, your wedding. And, and there's a reason the Bible uses it to, like, point to that ultimate great wedding that we're all looking forward to is because I think it does accurately. It's just such a foretaste of what's to come. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I There's this one picture I wish I could just, like, show the listeners right now of, like, where I'm on stage with you and I'm just like looking like super normal. Like I'm, I'm happy. I'm, you know, I'm just like standing there, but then you're right next to me and you have this hilarious look <laughs> on your face. of like trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously Jenny's walking out. You had just seen her. Yeah. And your, your face says like this inexpressible emotion almost that like words can't really define. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. That's just like a funny picture of like, uh, what, our experience will be forever. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is ever increasing capacity to experience joy. I'm trying to think if we should, I don't have a ton of time and I don't want to cut this next parts short. Should we just do it in another podcast? Dude. The two faith parts. Heck yeah. I think so. I too. don't think I'm ready to move on mentally. Yeah. I think, me neither. Yeah. I think if, if anything, this is, re-stirred up the pot in my own soul of just like 
hope and expectation and not that it would do a disservice to it, but I kind of just want to sit in it for a bit. Yeah. And dude, I have so much to say on these next two chapters and not unlimited time. So we'll do that soon. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a crazy week for us, dude. It is. I mean, how is this chapter going to change your life? You think this week, like what, Mm. what can you actually give me and give us that will actually be a practical takeaway here? It's going to be so fun to move freshmen in, recruit them, bring them to all these events, get them plugged into community, actually like worship with them, like have the kickoff where hopefully thousand plus students come. It's going to feel like what he's talking about, like ecstasy and infinity, right? As we're, <laughs> as we're on campus. One billion students <laughs> are coming. As we're on campus, the place that we both deeply love with all of our friends, the church, the members of the church behind us, and we're just worshiping on campus, that's going to be unreal. And you're going to be preaching. It's like, but that's just a foretaste, like a, like oh, barely man. even one too. Yeah, dude, I, I agree. I mean, obviously my mind went to the same place of just like the hope that we have for people like actually experiencing what we're talking about today for the mm-hmm. first time or re-experiencing it for the thousand Yeah, like, time. like walking the fools and the sensible people and showing them the true way. Yeah. Because we know what it's like to be those other two guys. Right. And it's just going to be so fun to see Jesus like arouse that suspicion and that joy in people. But here, here's like, I guess the more full picture of all that for me, what I'm taking away is we are free to do that and we are free to go work really hard and have a lot of fun mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks because our identity and our hope isn't in how well these two weeks go, right? For sure. I think that's what gets me most pumped is like, yep. dude, we just get to let it rip. Yep. Like we get to go meet and invite as many people as possible. We get to preach our little hearts out and like do our jobs or our ministry however well we can. But ultimately like whatever, you know, ultimately that's not our greatest hope and yeah. our security. And so I'm going to need you to hold me to that. For sure. Uh, how do we want the listeners to pray for us? Oh my for gosh. this week because like uh our summer's over i mean starting Oof. on la- a couple days ago at our leaders retreat our summer officially ended and now it's fall for us like students move in tomorrow new freshmen come tomorrow yeah so how what do we need dude we need so much i i, I don't know i think uh if anybody could if I could look back like in a month like right, what was that last month defined by like, what is the one theme that came from it I would just say like grace and just like a compelling amount of clarity of grace. So what I mean by that is just like, it would be so cool if people looked at our kickoff, our first couple weeks of salt, our relationships we're building, our even programming we're putting on and just being like, dude, I am in love with the grace of Jesus more because of that. And there's a lot of other people here who are understanding that. So I don't know. I don't really you want a ton of people to come. You want the masses you want, uh, but you really just want that because you want everybody to taste and see that the Lord is good and experience his grace. Like we have. Yeah. I think pray for us staffers too. And our leaders that we would, like you're saying, just let it rip and have a blast with it, but also not burn ourselves out or, Oh yeah. Great. That's um, way more practical. And like, yeah, we would, I, I hate this term, but like we would rest well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we would do the things that 
recharge us. So that work not- hard, play harder, yep. rest well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can work on that, but yeah. Yeah, we can work <laughs> on that. Cool. Anything so, else? No, thanks for reading to me. Of course. I know it's the only way you'll read, so I have to. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, folks. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I know that that book has uh, just radically impacted the way that I think about things and the way I view hope in heaven. And so uh, we'll get to those other chapters, like I said, another time. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Keep us in your prayers and sign up for the Salt Company Classic at saltiowacity.com. I think that's all I got for you. Peace out, folks. We love you.